ready? Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei pri hagahafen, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech olam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. All of that. <laughs> now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and I pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach, Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Ba'eli Madonai Michamocha Nedar Bakodesh Nora Tehilot 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu et derech haYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashabbat la'asot et Hashabbat la'doratam berit olam b'nei Ovayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. Keshishet yamin asa aronai et hashemayim va'et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Aronai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, vashivtacha, babetcha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam leot al yedecha, vahayu le totafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. This is a promise. 
Father to his people. If my people, if my people who are called by my name, by my name will humble themselves and pray. And if my people, if my people who are called by my name, by my name will humble themselves and seek my face. And if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear and will forgive their sin, and I'll hear their land, I'll hear their land, I'll hear their land, I'll hear their land. with us if my people, if my people who, are who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and if my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my faith and if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal and will forgive their sin. And I'll heal their land, I'll heal their land, and I'll heal their
heal our land Heal our land Heal our land Oh, 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 heal our land If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my faith. Keep me to your Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lionel Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our Erev Shabbat broadcast here this Sabbath. Uh, this Sabbath, we are still in the book of Leviticus uh, for our Torah portion. And in fact, we're in uh, Leviticus um, chapter 19. Our Torah portion is called Kedoshim. Kedoshim means holy ones. Our uh, Hafto portion is going to come from, depending on your tradition, um, it comes from Amos or in Ezekiel. I'm going to cover the one in Amos uh, this Shabbat. But let's uh, step back and let's talk about what is going on in the book of Leviticus and what, why the Hoftor portion is being selected. There are some Torah teachers, and I'm one of them, that refer to this particular portion of, of, um, of Leviticus. Uh, last week's portion, this portion, and extending into the next portion, as we refer to them as the essentials of the Torah. We consider the instructions that are given here just as powerful as when God gave the Ten Commandments. 
he's going God is being very precise about certain instructions uh, that that are to be done just like the Ten Commandments are precise and specific and direct so we have the same thing here in this part of the law this part of the book of Leviticus but there's a slight difference with it uh, when God gave the Ten Commandments it was given in the context of I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to give you some instructions so that we can be together. A relationship was now, here in Leviticus, God is going to say, my nature is to be holy, and I want you to be with me, and that means you need to be holy with me as well. And... Um, some have said, well, it's, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to imitate God. And I think to a certain extent, some of that is kind of true. However, I think the holiness that we're talking about here in the book of Leviticus, when he says, I, the Lord, am holy, and I want you to be holy too, is, is on a different level than where most people are coming from. In fact, if you stop and think about it, you know, as I've been mentioning the word holy, I would imagine that there's some who are thinking, and I used to do this, I used to think this, that holiness was some kind of ethereal thing. You know, there's me, this is the practical me. Um, you know, I'm walking around on two feet and I'm doing what I'm trying to do. And then there's this goal uh, to be holy and deep inside of me, I'm going, I'll never get there. I'll never get there. Um, I tell this story back in my youth in which this was the key subject that was being discussed by a teacher. And we were addressing the fact that we can't do it. And he used the example of, can you be holy one whole day? And the, the group of us that were in that class, we went, no way. <laughs> Well, you kidding me? Oh, can you be holy for one hour? Probably not. Probably not going to get there. Can you be holy for one minute? Well, I probably have a shot at that one. I'm not sure. About, but you want me to attach a couple of minutes together? That, that's where it's going to get in trouble. And what he talked about, what he was sharing with me, was about the whole concept of obeying the commandments. You do what you can do. You learn how to walk before the Lord. You, you, you be holy for one second. Now I'll put a couple of seconds together. Be holy for a minute. Put a couple of minutes together. And the idea was, as I was in my youth, the idea was, well, you come to some sort of elevated spiritual state in which we say, okay, we're holy. I don't think that's what God's trying to teach. As much as we're trying to achieve that, we're trying to fulfill what the Lord has said. Um, I'm reading from uh, Rabbi Hertz's The Pentateuch and Hof Torahs, and, and I want to read this paragraph to you because he's, he's dealing with this section of the Torah, all of these specific commandments, and he does the best job I've ever seen of tying the commandments, keeping the commandments to this state of what God wants us to be holy. Let me read this to you. 
uh, for a few moments, and then we will uh, go from there. Holiness is thus not so much an abstract or a mystic idea as a regulative principle in the everyday lives of men and women. The words, ye shall be holy, are the keynote of the whole chapter and must be read in connection with its various precepts, reverence for parents, consideration for the needy, prompt wages for the reasonable hours, honorable dealing, no tail-bearing or malice, love of one's neighbor, uh, cordiality to the alien, equal justice to the rich and the poor, just measures and balances, together with abhorrence of everything unclean, irrational, or heathen. Holiness is thus attained not by flight from the world, nor by monk-like renunciation of human relationships of family or station, but by the spirit in which we fulfill the obligations of life in its simplest and commonest details. In this way, by doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God, is everyday life transfigured. I can't think of better words to explain what we are in, the section of Leviticus that we're in. We have a multitude of instructions here that has to do with daily things, daily relationships, how we behave, how we think, and, and it comes down to, and in fact, what I'd like to do is um, uh, read this first part of the actual Torah portion in Leviticus um, 19, at beginning at verse 1, then we'll go to our Haftor portion here. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall fear every man his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. There's two specific commands given. You shall fear your father and your mother, and you shall keep the Sabbath. Well, honoring your father and your mother is part of the Ten Commandments. Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments. Why would he pick those two? One of them has to do with the domestic relationship in your home, honoring your father and your mother. The other one has to do with your home stops and honors God. Those are two very key components. And at most people, I think, when they first think of those, they see a contrast, in them, and there is a certain measure of contrast. But stick with me for a moment. Uh, in the case of honoring your father and your mother, there's another place where it says that if you do not honor your father and mother, that your days will be shortened, that it will actually bring about your death earlier. And in fact, if you disrespect your mother or your father, it says that you're going to receive God's punishment. You will definitely receive his punishment. Not only is it going to shorten your days, but you're, you're going to pay a price. Look at today the number of families that we see just in our own society where the children are rebellious 
and do not want to honor their parents and for what they have done, what they stood for, and have struck out to do their own thing. One of the biggest things I could tell you is they don't honor their parents in their own faith. Kids actually kind of rebel to the point where they do it in a disrespectful way to their parents. The, um, there are a host of things that we see going on in society, and, and it's all traced back to children having a breach of relationship with their fathers. And if you have a, a bad father, your life is going to be seriously impaired throughout your days. Even if you try to go and establish your own home, you're going to be uh, impacted in a negative way. Um, and God is talking, but that's one of, the, one of the keys to living the life I want you to live with me. Part of the reason why the honoring the father and the mother, the fifth commandment of the Torah, is put on the tablet having to do with our relationship with God is the following. If you dishonor your earthly father, you're in all likelihood going to dishonor your heavenly father. If you honor your earthly father and mother, you will more likely honor God as your heavenly father. And they're directly connected. And therefore, he's talking about if you're going to have any chance of being holy, you have to be intact with your own house and your own family. Your house has to have been committed to following the things of the Lord. And then Sabbath, of course, is how you prove that your house is following the Lord because every Sabbath we remember to keep the Sabbath holy by ceasing from our labors. We rest at our home. You know, we light the Sabbath candles. We have a nice Sabbath dinner. We have family together. And you have table fellowship, you know, on Sabbath dinners. Um, and it used to be a generation ago, everybody had dinner at, at home, the whole family. That is a rarity these days. That is a rarity to find a family that have that. And even for Messianics, you have to struggle to have that Sabbath evening, Sabbath dinner to get it done. God is basically saying you have no chance of being holy the way I'm holy if you don't respect your father and your mother and you don't recognize the Sabbath in your own home each week. What follows, if you can satisfy those two, is a whole series of other things that you also have to do. And as this um, article here talks about uh, how you treat uh, a stranger, providing justice for both the rich and the poor, equal weights and measures and how you do business, you abhor things that are unclean. Those are the necessary things that we have to do. Uh, to be in the state of being the holy ones, Kedoshim. Now, with that said, just as a quick reminder, review of what our Torah portion is about, let's look at the Haftor portion that is selected that goes with this. And we are in the prophet Amos in chapter 9. 
And I find it utterly fascinating that this is the portion that goes with this. And I will tell you that uh, after I have completed the reading of that, there is something that is in the world about these words I'm going to read to you that is a reality that is having a profound impact on the world today. I'll explain in just a moment. But as a foretaste, listen closely as I read these words. Amos 9, beginning at verse 7, it says, Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Camptor and the Arameans from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword, Those who say the calamity will not overtake us or confront us, in that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and will up its breaches, and I wall up its breaches, and I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. And also I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will also plant them on their land. And they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. The, um, it's fascinating to understand why they chose this portion to go with this about holiness uh, with um, the Torah portion. And part of it has to do with that things that are holy are sanctified. Uh, You can't be holy until you are sanctified, which means you have to be separated from other things. And part of this verse talks about uh, God talking about that we live in a sinful world um, and that Israel is in the midst of it and his people are in the midst of it. But he says, the day is coming when I'm going to shake the whole house of Israel. I'm going to shake the whole world and I'm going to remove the good grain from all of the unclean things, the dirt, the chaff, and so forth. And I'm going to collect it and I'm going to bring that back to my land, the promised land. I'm going to establish my kingdom. Now, that's the ultimate goal of why do you want to be holy? Because this is the normal path for us to go to the kingdom and to be with the Lord. If you do not pursue 
these commandments and keeping these commandments. In other words, you're not after the goal to be holy before the Lord as he is holy, then you're not pursuing to be in the kingdom with him. I don't know what you're doing, but you're not going to make it. He's holy. He's going to come and dwell in Jerusalem, in the land. For you to dwell there, you have to be a holy person too. Are you aware of the fact that you cannot stand in God's presence if you have any sin? It's a little bit like darkness can't exist in the presence of the light. The light drives the darkness away. If, if you're planning on walking around, <laughs> having a daily conversation with the Lord in, in the kingdom, you have to learn about holiness. You have to learn about separating yourself from disgusting worldly things. Now, I'm not talking about being a super extremist a crazy religious person. I'm talking about the good earth that God made. I'm talking about living and, and operating within those good things God made and following his instructions on how we are to deal with the world and how we're to deal with other people properly. But, you know, um, a lot of times uh, people throw their arms up in the air and they say, well, nobody can do this. That would be wrong. That would be wrong. If God is able to forgive you of all of your sins and raise you up on the last day from the grave, then it is possible with God's help for you to be the person God wants you to be. But you have to be willing to yield to him. You have to be willing to be a part of the plan uh, that he has. Now, I told you that this was um, an interesting section of Scripture. Um, if you ever go on a tour to Israel, um, there's one place that is a possible tour stop. And some I've done some tours where we actually went there. It's in Tel Aviv. It's called Independence Hall. It's the building and the room where the state of Israel was declared by David Ben-Gurion. And they had an orchestra in the upstairs, and they had everybody, that, you know, little chairs, and they had everybody seated there. And that's when they got the telegram from the United States recognizing the state of Israel when they were first formed. This was in May 14th of um, 1948, inscribed on the walls as you go in and out of that building are these words from Amos. You see, when they established the state of Israel, the modern Israel that we have today, they were laying claims to these words. They were laying claim to the following. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, the treader with the grapes, and so forth. And it goes on down to the words where it says, I will plant them in their land, 
and they will not be rooted out from their land which I have given to them ever again. Those words are inscribed on that hall up there. Now, that is, when I went in there and I saw that, and I saw those were the words up there, it just blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. See, in Israel, modern Israel today, they use Amos 9 as one of the key prophecies to explain what is happening to the modern state of Israel. The transition of coming out of the Gentile nations, becoming the nation of Israel, all the issues that Israel has, their struggles with their enemies, their own struggles with their own behavior before God, will they honor God or not, the whole idea of getting Jerusalem again, wanting to get the Temple Mount, wanting to rebuild the Temple, all of these issues are part of the dynamic of Israel fulfilling these prophecies. I want you to take note just up another paragraph from that to verse 11. In that day, I'll raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I'll also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Did you know that that's the passage of Scripture that James quoted in Acts chapter 15. When the testimony came in of Gentiles coming to know the Lord, and Paul was there with Peter, and the, the Pharisee believers said, hey, these Gentiles, they got to get circumcised to be saved, and they got to keep the law to be saved, and there was a question about salvation there. And the Paul and Peter argued, no, salvation is by faith. It's some of the promises that come through Abraham, not through the law. And the conclusion was finally given by um, uh, James, the brother of the Lord. He was the leader of the people there in Jerusalem, and he's the one that rendered the judgment and said, we should not trouble these Gentiles that are coming to faith because the prophecy says that the Gentiles are going to be coming when we rebuild Israel. That's what that verse says. And the nations who call my, my name. The nations, the Gentiles are going to be coming in. When are they going to be coming in? When the fallen booth of David is built. Now, a lot of people think, oh, that must be talking about the, the temple. No, it's not talking about the temple. That word for booth, and I like this uh, New American Standard translation, it's Sukkot. It's not the temple. It's not the tabernacle. It's the tent. It's the booth of David. What, what in the world are they talking about? What do you mean the booth of David? Well, one of the things that makes David such an interesting king in the history of Israel, he was the king who captured more land and had rule over more land of Israel than any other king ever had. In fact, there were many Gentile nations under David's rule, and it foreshadowed the kind of kingdom 
that the Messiah would have. The son of David is also to have a kingdom that is that great. Now, you remember David numbered the people and got in all kinds of trouble because he was commanded not to do so. Rebuilding the booth or the tabernacle of David is reestablishing Israel with the son of David being the king over the whole world. That's what it's referring to. And it says the Gentiles are going to come and be a part of that. They're going to be part of Israel doing that. So here's modern Israel quoting from the promise saying this is what's happening in the land now, which is the down payment on the whole world. And we all knew that Israel had to be established as a nation before the Messiah can come back again. The prophecies insisted on it. So we've satisfied that. But fundamentally, the people that, who come back, that come back to that land, those people have to be holy ones. They have to have been sifted out of the world. And it's like the Lord is pulling the saints out, the remnant out from amongst all of the peoples of the world, including all the Gentile nations. This prophecy is tying into it. Here we have the modern, um, the messianic movement today. And what is the number one holiday the messianics are emphasizing right now about the messianic movement? Building a sukkah. We're building the sukkah of David. The sukkah of David that's over the whole world. The kingdom over the whole world. Here in Oklahoma, where I'm at, we've been holding the Feast of Tabernacles for a couple of decades out here, inviting people in. And when we first got started, there wasn't that many of them. Now they're all over the place. They're all over the world. And that's what we see happening in our days. The tabernacle of David is being raised up. We're repairing the breach for it. We're remembering Moses, going back to the original instruction. The land of Israel is happening. That's what these prophecies said would be happening. And by the way, it's tied directly to this Torah portion called the essentials of the law. The essentials. You want to be with the Lord in the kingdom? You must obey these specific commandments because that's the day-to-day, step-after-step of what a holy person does. Holiness is what happens on the daily basis with you. He wants us to be holy just like he is holy. That's our portion for this week. That's our Haftor portion. Shabbat Shalom. Leviticus 19 and Amos 9, the last uh, several paragraphs. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, they actually make a, a statement about fear and honor. Fear is for.
Shabbat Shalom. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, to chapter 5. Hold your finger at verse 33, where our Brit Hadashah portion for this week will begin. As you open the Scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again, that we can join in with your greater community of brethren, and we can study your word, your teachings, and your instructions each Sabbath day. And Father, I pray that this message from the Gospels and the New Testament, Father, that it would um, be powerful to us, that it would teach us your word and your ways. And so as we go through the Torah portion for this week of Kedoshim, Father, I pray that we would learn to be holy as you are holy. I pray that we would just apply these words and these teachings and these instructions to our lives so that we might build better covenants with one another and that we might have a better covenant relationship with our Messiah and with you, our Heavenly Father. We bless you, praise you, we thank you for this time and this teaching. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our Torah portion this week is Kedoshim, meaning holy ones. Normally taught as a double portion, but it's separated for us for this leap year. Um, so we get to put a little bit more focus and emphasis on this Torah portion that comes to us from beginning in Leviticus chapter 19. This entire portion is filled with laws of morality. Simple, basic instructions that are usually only a couple of verses long, but give us a great deal of wisdom and instruction. How we are to be holy as God calls us to be holy, because that's what he says at the beginning of Leviticus 19. And that's what you could even say is the very essence of what Leviticus is all about, is teaching us how to be holy. God created us, and he, we are made perfect in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's our job to remain clean, holy, and pure. God made us clean and pure. He made us of his image. Our origin is basically to be clean and holy as he is holy. But because of sin, because of uncleanness, because of profanity, we then become unclean. So Leviticus teaches us a whole lot of do's and don'ts on how to remain holy based on what we eat, based on different types of sacrifices we need to make, based on what our skin condition shows us, based on what we have sexual relations with. And oh, by the way, there's a whole lot of very basic commandments instructions about doing well by your neighbor, by others that are around you. Not to steal, not to swear falsely, not to cheat your neighbor, not to uh, charge your brother interest. All of these things, not to be part, show partiality to you know, one person or another because somebody's rich. It's like, oh, I'm going to favor him because this one's poor and this one can pay me more money. So that person gets less and this person gets more. Not to show partiality, but to have good covenant relationships no matter who your neighbor is, basically. And that's what you could say is all this entire Torah portion is all about. It's very much a gospel-based message coming from our Torah portion. So therefore, there's actually multiple, um, multiple passages that can relate back to individual commandments that come from this Torah portion. The first one we're going to talk about is Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 33, where the Messiah, giving the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Again, you have heard it said um, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. When it says about, you know, do not swear falsely, do not, you know, swear that you're going to do something and then fail to break your promise, 
The Messiah here is actually giving us an instruction to say, do not swear at all, nor for anything in heaven or anything on earth, but simply let your yes be yes. Just do what you're going to do. Say what you're going to say. There is the, the morality of this instruction, this commandment, transcends any religion, any denomination, and is simply a purely moral code by which when you say you're going to do something, do it. Keep your promises. Do not lie. Do not tell somebody mistruths, half-truths, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to do it, then do it. If not, then stand by your no and don't do it. This is as, as upfront and honest of an instruction as can possibly given, be given from the Word. It's, it's an instruction that we give to our small children when they're simply learning how to, how to interact with life and to build new relationships. Relationships will grow and be formed by people keeping their word and as simple as doing what they say they're going to do. Not that you require an oath, not that you require a promise. It's all like, oh, to, to your young son, you're going to, uh, you're going to clean your room. Yeah, I'll clean my room. Okay. Let's pull out the Bible, put your hand on the Bible, swear an oath to me, swear by your word, by your name, by something that you're going to clean your room. We don't require that of them. <laughs> it's just that they just need to do it. And you know what? The same instruction can go for us. We don't have to require oaths and promises. You don't have to stand up and say, my oath, my promise to God, my vow to God is that I'm going to do this particular work. And somebody who's sitting there watching you and they're just going to be like, okay, waiting for it. Rather than just, rather than stating that, just get to work. Just let your yes be yes. And this is just good, solid instruction. Now, if you make an oath, there's, there's a time and a purpose and a place for oaths and vows and pledges, usually in some form of ceremony or, or alliance or, or an agreement or an accord that is needed between, you know, two parties. Peace treaties require these kinds of things. The, you know, trials by law, they require these things. But do we always find ourselves in those situations? Of course not. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. One of the other instructions that I want to uh, talk about is loving your enemies. Let's go to uh, verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, where it says this, You've heard it said of old, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Thou shall love your, you shall love your neighbor is a specific commandment comes to us from Leviticus chapter 19. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we sit there, you hear that instruction, you're like, okay, I don't know if I can be perfect. But think about God. Think about the, that God loves even those who hate Him here on earth. How many people, whether it's on the news, or whether it's some people that you know, or a certain religion that somebody might in, who, who, who speaks ill of the God that we serve? who speaks ill of the scripture and the Bible and people who have burned Bibles and people who are the enemies of God here on earth. And God still sends rain on their land. Still, God still allows them to live here on earth. You sit there and you're like, man, is God, 
why, we sit here sometimes thinking it's all like, God, you know what would be really great if you just killed all of your enemies here on earth and it's just those that, that are here that already love you, that those are the ones that stay. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not how God is. That might be how we think. We might only greet our brethren and not greet anybody else that thinks like us or, or is the same denomination as us or who might not even have any testimony or belief or, or any precedent of knowing God or, or having any instruction having to do with God. We're to welcome with open arms just the way God does, that even he loves his enemies. We're talking about a God level of love. It's hard enough for us to even figure out and define what love is in, in this life anyways. You know, just trying to figure out how two people love each other and how a husband can love his wife properly and appropriately and and getting that all together and then trying to love your kids, even though they disobey you, even though they do all kinds of things and they, yet you still love your kids. You try, you figure out how to do it. It's like, man, this is, this is really hard. It's really hard to just, you know, show this, this same sort of love to someone. Well, then the scripture says that no greater love is one that would lay down their life for another. Okay, well, that's when a father has to come to a reconciliation. He's all like, my wife is in mortal danger. Will I jump in front of a bullet or a car to save her life? I love her so much, I will do that. You'll do it for your kids? Yeah, I'll do it for my kids. Okay, what about that old dude that's about to die and he's you know doesn't have a lot of life left to live and you don't even know him? Would you do it for him as well? Uh, that's when us human beings start to go, eh. Would you hesitate to jump in front of that car or jump in front of that bullet? You duck and dive and you hide and you protect yourself. And see, that's where, see, that's where you start to, to, you know, that's, that's, that's hard. That's hard. That's, you know, cranking up the difficulty level on life and cranking up the difficulty level on love. Oh yeah. Let's go up a notch even more. Would you jump in front of the bullet for the guy that is your sworn enemy? He curses you. He hates you. You got into a fight with him once. He wants nothing to do with you. And would you then jump in front of the bullet for him? We're talking about a God level of love. That's how he operates because he's, and he's perfect. Are we going to do the same? Are we willing to go that far for someone else that we would show a God level of love? That's a tough, tough call. We want to say, might be sitting in our congregations, in our Bible studies, and we're going to say, well, you know, preacher, you just, you just convicted me, and it's like, you know what, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Until you get into that situation, something else kicks in. See, but our God above, He is always looking to and fro across the earth, looking at those who hate Him and still has a love and a care for that person. That's something that when we recognize that our God being greater than all others, when you might, you might read and study, you know, other gods and polytheistic nature and mythology and, and all these different other things. And you read those stories about, you know, judgment and the God sent down judgment upon this. And we serve a God that has a love for his creation. Not that we're to just become this, you know, begrudgingly subservient slaves to our God to sacrifice our own lives and our own children or to, you know, for, the, our, for this God, but that he desires to be in a covenant relationship with us and loves us, even the sinner who disobeys his word, he still loves and still causes the sun to rise each and every day upon this world, as unclean as it is, as godless as it is, as unfaithful as it is, the sun still rises, the rain still falls, Air is still there to breathe. 
And that is a level of love that our God shows that is the essence of the law of Moses as well. When it says, love your neighbor, this is what we're talking about here. Loving your neighbor, and it's not, not just your neighbor. Your neighbor is actually the person that you might not think it is. Because the question got asked of our Messiah as well. There in Luke chapter 10, we have the teaching and the instruction and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because, this, because he was directly asked, and it's all like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we are to do. Um, you know, that's the second greatest commandment, as I said, comes from our Torah portion. Greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, depending on which gospel you're reading it from. But the second commandment, like the first, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Right there in the heart of the book of Leviticus comes this commandment. So then somebody, I don't know who it was that just sort of, you know, asks and, and he's like, you know, I don't know what he was, what his question was really. Was he trying to get out of loving someone? He says, well, uh, well who's my neighbor? In Luke chapter 10, verse 29, then Yeshua tells the story, tells the story in the parable of the Good Samaritan. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down by the road. The priests, you know how holy they are, the Levites. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And it's like, I don't want to talk to that guy. I'm going to just walk around, you know, the, the other way. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the same place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, now let's uh, time out for a second. Samaritans were another sect of Judaism that believed that the Holy Temple of God was on Mount Gerizim, not in Jerusalem. They were despised by other Jews. They were basically at war with each other religiously. And one, the other thought the other was just completely heretical and were the scum of the earth. Even though they're fellow Jews, even though they all keep the commandments of God as best they can, we have a couple of disagreements on where the, the instruction and the sacrifices should be. And guess what? We're not in fellowship anymore now, are we? Samaritan comes by as he journeys, comes as he was, and he saw him and he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took, the t took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the dude responded and says, um, the guy who showed mercy. And Yeshua says to him, go and do likewise. See, it doesn't matter who they were. It doesn't matter whether they are your enemy, religiously your enemy. It doesn't matter what nation they came from or wherever else they're from. Your neighbor is the one who shows mercy because that's what the sign is that you can be neighbors with somebody. Is one that has in your relationship with one another, you have grace, you have mercy, you have understanding. You don't have judgment and, and wrath that comes out upon, upon your neighbor when anything happens. And it doesn't matter where they came from. The one who shows mercy, the one who shows this level of love, of loving your neighbor, that is who your neighbor is. That's who you're in fellowship with. That's who is a part of your community. This is what it is to be a good neighbor. There's more passages in our New Testament that talk about these sort of things and what we need to know about being a good neighbor. 
Let's turn to the book of James, chapter 2. It says this, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand, stand over there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not, uh, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts. Do they not blaspheme that noble, uh, noble name, uh, name by which you are called? If you are really faithful, the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. This is what it is. Once again, more instruction having to do with loving your neighbor as yourself. This is the partiality. Did not show more favor to the rich man, though he might be able to do more for you. But he says specifically, the ones who have come into faith in the Messiah are the poor among us. Think about every person that has ever come into faith in the Messiah. It's, you had to be at your lowest moment. You had to be almost a broken person before you realized that your faith and your life, the life that you can live in your faith in Messiah. That's, that's when people find the Messiah. That's when people find the faith that it is to go on. And then you're lifted up. It's like, it's, it's so true almost in every circumstance that your faith in the Lord grows the poorer in this world you become. Because you realize that all power and glory is from him. Any time of anything being exalted comes when I humble myself. That's when good things happen. This is your lesson to leaders. The best leaders are the ones that humble themselves. The ones that are more respected than anybody else are the ones that have come through challenges and tribulations and who humbled themselves even when they have the ability to be in power and they have riches or they have authority or they have position or title. But when they, when you ever find out about a celebrity that has, you know, just the, the coolest spirit, there's the kindest words and who's just a good all around good person, man, do you have the greatest respect for that person, even though they run into all kinds of crazy people, but man, are they a good person? And you know what? Guess what? The people who come from very humble beginnings, why don't we rejoice in the tribulations they've had to endure to get to the life they have now? I meet a lot of people like that. They pop into the congregation, come through the doors, and they're just like, you know what? I've, I've had a tough life. I've had some time. Man, have I made mistakes and I've done all this. And I, I might have been famous in, in past thing. I might have had a ton of money before, but then I lost it all and did this. And now, and now they're just standing there just humbly right there in front of you sitting in congregation. And you get to pray with that person. You get to talk to that person. You got to interact with them. And they just have the greatest of spirits. Because they have overcome these things. And we can't sit there and then say, well, you know what? The, this guy right here, you know, he doesn't really have much of a job and he can't really donate a lot to the congregation. So, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try to not talk to him and I'm going to go talk to the other guy that I know who's, you know, uh, maybe a lawyer or he's a, 
doctor or something. He's got a lot more money. So I'm going to make sure I minister to that guy because he has the ability to put more money into the offering plate. Is that the right thing to do as leaders? Absolutely not. That's not loving your neighbor because then that is showing partiality and that's loving one neighbor more because you like them a little bit more and there's more they can do for you. And that's loving this neighbor a little bit less. Oh, no, no, no. I still love that person. No, no, you don't because you love less. It's just exactly what we were saying about the, the loving, loving your enemy. It's like, you got that one person right over there. It's all like, well, you know, I love my wife and I love my kids more. And then the next step down is, you know, my best friend. And then my next step down is some of my other friends. And the next step down is an acquaintance. And then the next step down is, I don't even know that guy. So, you know, it's like, you know, by the time you get down to that level, there's, there's not really a lot of left, love left to go around, is there? When ultimately the love that comes from God comes from the eternal God. And guess what? His ability to love, his ability to save, his ability to bless is limitless. If you have the love of God inside of you, your ability to love all should be limitless. Not only to the people that you like, but also to the people you don't even know. And even further down to the people that, you don't, that despise you and maybe is directly your enemy. You don't get along with them anymore. You don't talk to, about them anymore. They said they spread lies about you, whatever. And it's like, if your love stems from God, it should be limitless even to that person as well. This is how we should behave as believers in God, followers of his word. Let me get on now to Galatians chapter 5 at verse 13 where it says this, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, but through love serve one another. For all the love is fulfilled in one word. Even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For if you bite and devour one another, behold, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, I ju just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, that's what it is whenever the idea of loving your neighbor comes into question. It starts with some of those things that I listed there really quickly that are the 17 different works of the flesh. It begins with envy, envy for something more. And it's all like if you just like the thing where you show partiality to the person that's maybe more rich than the other person, you kind of well, get a little bit of greed. You kind of want a little something, something for liking that person a little bit more. This creates the division and the divide. This is what allows the flesh 
to come in where the spirit should be instead. And it says the entirety of all the law is fulfilled in one word, love. Showing the love to, same love to them, same love to that person there, same love to your parents, your family, anybody. The same love that is all sourced from the living God. If you allow these other things and these other works of the flesh, this is the opposite of love. This is what will cause divide. This is what will do the opposite of what God has always intended us to do. And right there, the fruits of the Spirit, first one being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This should be our testimony to one another, to all brethren. I want, uh, I'll be honest with you. I really, you know, when you're ministering in a congregation or interacting with other people and you never know what somebody's going to say about you. And sometimes you're kind of wondering, it's like, you know, I know when I go to give a, give a teaching on the weekend or something, I get done and I'm kind of like, you know, what does everybody think about what I said? Somebody says this, somebody says, whatever it might be, this is the only hope that I have. Not that I was a good teacher. Not that I, I, I said something that was profound or that, you know, it's like, wow, I was really smart or, or I would rather my testimony be, it's all like, man, look at that guy. Look at his faithfulness to just, you know, work in ministry every day of his life. That's what his job is. And I just want, I'm just happy his faithfulness. I love to see the look on people to see the look on my face and be like, man, that's a joyful person. He's not angry. He's not contentious. He doesn't, he's not mad. He's not about to burst out in wrath and be angry at somebody. In fact, the problem is that that's the one that you kind of read when you sort of like, okay, you, you go down that list of works of the flesh and you're like adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I'm, I don't do any of that stuff, man. That's, that's real deep, dark stuff. Don't it? Hatred. Eh, I'm okay. I don't really hate it. Contentions. Well, I like a debate from, from time to time. Jealousy. Yeah, I kind of that way sometimes. Outbursts of wrath. We know way too many people that just cannot keep it in and just has to just blow up sometimes. Sometimes you look and you're like, that's not worth that kind of reaction. Wouldn't it be better if our testimony of somebody, if you see that, it's all like, you know what? That person might have every reason to be angry, but he's not. He still shows kindness to the person that just wronged him. He still is, is gentle in his speech. He still has self-control to not blow up at the slightest bit of thing that happens. Or even the big things. Even when there's things that, that, that happen that is worth, you know, somebody freaking out about. You know, somebody could have gotten seriously hurt. And it's like, you know what? But the person that still exercises self-control in that situation still shows kindness. You can be firm, but you can be kind as well. And who still has joy and is long-suffering and patient. You know what? That's what I would love my testimony to be. You know what? That person had been in ministry his whole life, and he dealt with, you know how many crazy people he ran into in the course of his life? But he was patient through all of it. Because the Lord, by his spirit, his, the spirit of God is inside that man. That's what I want the testimony to be. That's what I want it to be of me. That's what I hope that each and every one of us want our, our testimonies to be. That we're filled with love and we love the, the, the poor and the rich among us alike. That we have joy and peace through every single, no matter what happens. It's by our deeds, by our actions that people know what God we serve. Know what Bible we read and what commandments we keep. It's by our actions, how we treat one another. This is, it's crucial for us when it comes to showing our love for one another. 
Next passage for our Brit Hashal reading, Romans chapter 13, where at verse 8, it says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. Not that we do away with it, but that we fulfill it, that we give it up, we fill it full of meaning and we live and operate with the law of Moses, the commandments, the instructions, and it's all fulfilled through the word law, for, through the word love. Verse nine, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. All of the commandments, all of the instructions that we read about in our Torah studies, in our Torah teachings, love fulfills all of it. Well, what about like the sacrifices and stuff in the sacrificial system and, and Leviticus? And what, what, what's, what's that all about? Oh, uh, let me teach it to you. If you love God, then make an offering and give a gift back to God because you love him and give him the best gift that you can give, which is life. That's why the sacrifices are there. Yeah, but the different, no, it's all summed up in that. It's very, very simple. This is why it's there. These are why the instructions. What's this, all these commandments about the tabernacle and the, the tent and, and, and establishing a place for God to dwell? Oh, that's because he loves his people. God himself wants to dwell within and among his people because he loves them. See that word love? It's present in every single one of those things. It is literally the truest, the fulfillment of all of the law. Last thing I want to read is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, where it says this, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. For all your conduct, and then some of your conduct, every once in a while, when you feel like it, only on Sabbaths, no, all of your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of the lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. With everything you do and with all the conduct that you have, you are not paid for and taken care of with the aimless things of, of gold and silver and the things of this world, but from the precious blood of our Messiah, God in the flesh himself. The least we could do is conduct ourselves in a seemly manner with kindness to whoever, with love, with joy, with a smile, do it with a smile on your face. Have peace knowing that it's like God, God takes care of everything that we need in life. Even when we are at war and when there is a time of war, 
There's a peace to be had. The reason why you fight is for that time of peace. And all of these things show yourself in good conduct, showing what spirit is within you. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. Read that list of 17 works of the flesh and then read the nine fruits of the spirit and tell me which ones apply to your life. Is it from the first list or the second? Is it all of them? Or yeah, it's just one, you know, I really struggle in this one area. Guess what? Then you know what to work on. That's your homework for this lesson is to look back and see what, how are you conducting yourself and are you operating with the spirit of God? Guess what? Doing so fulfills the law and the instructions. If you can operate with the spirit, guess what? All of Leviticus 19, you'll fulfill every bit of it. If you're doing so with, with, uh, without partiality and doing so with all of the love and the power and the fruits of the spirit that God gives to us, you can do, be a doer of the law. You can keep the commandments and the instructions. All you have to do is love and be a bearer of good fruit in everything that you do. And then you get to be called holy as God is holy. He calls us to be holy. I want that to be your testimony. I want that to be what God sees when he sees you. And that's what your testimony should be even among men as well. When they see you, let it be a testimony that, man, that is a holy person. They're righteous they follow the commandments of God. They walk in his spirit. That is what our testimony should be. And I challenge you, catch yourself the next time that you want to mm, lose your cool. Those envies, those jealousies, a little bit of hatred in your heart. Somebody's name comes up and you can't hide the look on your face. Check yourself a little bit more if you can. And so that we can continue to be the people God has called us to be to be his hands and feet here on earth and image bearers of him before all men. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time, this teaching from the New Testament for this Brit Hadashah portion. Father, may we be holy as you are holy. And Father, help us. Help us to better fulfill your commandments. Help us to love one another better. For Father, we just, we, this is the second greatest commandment for us to show that love to one another. Second only for our love that we have for you. Father, may we not be hypocrites. May we not love you and hate our brother. And Father, may we not struggle in our relationship with you while being good to all other men. But Father, may there be a balance. May we be true fulfillers of the word. And that may we be your hands and feet here on earth as we show love to one another. As you said, it's by the way we love one another that people will know that we are your disciples. So Father, help us through this situation. Help us, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to be calm, to be patient, and give us the fruits of your Spirit. We thank you in Yeshua's name for this time and this teaching. We thank you. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Vayasim lecha, 
Lecha Shalom B'Shem Yeshuch HaMashiach Sarcha Shalom Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.